Section 10 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 5, by William Still. Section 10. Portraits and Sketches. James Miller McKim more vividly than it is possible for the pen to portray the subject of this sketch recalls the struggles of the worst years of slavery when the conflict was most exciting and interesting when more minds were aroused and more laborers were hard at work in the field when more anti-slavery speeches were made tracts papers and books were written printed and distributed when more petitions were signed for the abolition of slavery in a word, when the barbarism of slavery was more exposed and condemned than ever before in the same length of time. Abolitionists were then intensely in earnest, and determined never to hold their peace or cease their warfare, until immediate and unconditional emancipation was achieved. On the other hand, during this same period, it is not venturing too much to assert that the slave power was more oppressive than ever before, slave enactments more cruel, the spirit of slavery more intolerant, the fetters more tightly drawn, perilous escapes more frequent, slave captures and slave hunts more appalling. In short, the enslavers of the race had never before so defiantly assumed that Negro slavery was sanctioned by the divine laws of God. Thus, while these opposing agencies were hotly contesting the rights of man, James Miller McKim, as one of the earliest, most faithful and ablest abolitionists in Pennsylvania, occupied a position of influence, labor, and usefulness, scarcely second to Mr. Garrison. For at least fourteen of the eventful years referred to, it was the writer's privilege to occupy a position in the anti-slavery office with Mr. McKim, and the best opportunity was thus afforded to observe him under all circumstances while battling for freedom. As a helper and friend of the fleeing bondman, in numberless instances, the writer has marked well his kind and benevolent spirit before and after the formation of the late Vigilance Committee. At all times, when the funds were inadequate, his aid could be counted upon for sure relief. He never failed the fugitive in the hour of need. Whether on the Underground Railroad bound for Canada, or before a United States commissioner trying a fugitive case, the slave found no truer friend than Mr. McKim. If the records of the Pennsylvania Society for Promoting the Abolition of Slavery and the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society were examined and written out by a pen as competent as Mr. McKim's, two or three volumes of a most thrilling, interesting, and valuable character could be furnished to posterity. But as his labors have been portrayed for these pages by a hand much more competent than the writer's, it only remains to present it as follows. The subject of this sketch was born in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, November 14, 1810, the oldest but one of eight children. On his father's side, he was of Scotch-Irish, 
on his mother's, Miller, of German descent. He graduated at Dickinson College in 1828, and entering upon the study of medicine, attended one or more courses of lectures in the University of Pennsylvania. Before he was ready to take his degree, his mind was powerfully turned toward religion, and he relinquished medicine for the study of divinity, entering the theological seminary at Princeton in the fall of 1831, and a year later being matriculated at Andover. The death of his parents, however, and subsequently that of his oldest brother, made his connection with both these institutions a very brief one, and he was obliged, as the charge of the family now devolved upon him, to continue his studies privately at home, under the friendly direction of the late Dr. Duffield. An ardent and pronounced disciple of the new school of Presbyterians, belonging to a strongly old-school presbytery, he was able to secure license and ordination only by transfer to another. And in October 1835 he accepted a pulpit in Womelsdorf, Berks County, Pennsylvania, where he preached for one year to a Presbyterian congregation. To what purpose and with what views may be learned from the following passage taken from one of his letters, written more than twenty years afterwards, to the National Anti-Slavery Standard. The first settled pastor of this little flock was one sufficiently well known to such of your readers as will be interested in this, to make mention of his name unnecessary. He had studied for the ministry with a strong desire and a half-formed purpose to become a missionary in foreign lands. Before he had proceeded far in his studies, however, he became alive to the claims of the perishing heathen here at home. When he received his licensure, his mind was divided between the still-felt impulse of his first purpose and the pressure of his later convictions. While yet unsettled on this point, the case of the little church at Womelsdorf was made known to him, followed by an urgent request from the people and from the Home Missionary Society to take charge of it. He acceded to the request and remained there one year, zealously performing the duties of his office to the best of his knowledge and ability. The people, earnest and simple-hearted, desiring the sincere milk of the word, and receiving it, grew thereby. All the members of the church became avowed abolitionists. They showed their faith by their works, contributing liberally to the funds of the Anti-Slavery Society. Many a seasonable donation has our Pennsylvania organization received from that quarter. For though their anti-slavery minister had left, and had been followed by others of different sentiments, and though he had withdrawn from the church with which they were in common connected, and that on grounds which subjected him to the imputation and penalties of heresy, these good people did not feel called upon to change their relations of personal friendship, nor did they make it a pretext, as others have done, for abandoning the cause. In October 1836 he accepted a lecturing agency under the American Anti-Slavery Society, as one of the seventy, gathered from all professions, whom Theodore D. Weld had by his eloquence inspired to spread the gospel of emancipation. Mr. McKim had long before this had his attention drawn to the subject of slavery in the summer of 1832, and the reading of Garrison's Thoughts on Colonization at once made him an abolitionist. 
he was an appointed delegate to the convention which formed the american anti-slavery society and enjoyed the distinction of being the youngest member of that body henceforth the object of the society and of his ministry became inseparable in his mind footnote it may be a matter of some interest to state that the original draft of the declaration of sentiments adopted at this meeting together with the autographs of the signers is now in the keeping of the new york historical society End footnote. in the following summer eighteen thirty four he delivered in carlisle two addresses in favor of immediate emancipation which excited much discussion and bitter feeling in that border community and gained him no little obloquy which was of course increased when as a lecturer on the regular stipend of eight dollars a week in travelling expenses pocket lined with british gold was the current charge he traversed his native state among a people in the closest geographical commercial and social contact with the system of slavery his fate was not different from that of his colleagues in respect of interruptions of his meetings by mob violence personal assaults with stale eggs and other more dangerous missiles and a public sentiment which everywhere encouraged and protected the rioters meantime a radical change of opinion on theological questions led mr mckim formally to sever his connection with the presbyterian church and ministry being now free to act without sectarian constraint he was in the beginning of eighteen forty made publishing agent of the pennsylvania anti-slavery society which caused him to settle in philadelphia where he was married in october to sarah a speakman of chester county the chief duties of his office at first were the publication and management of the pennsylvania freeman including for an interval after the retirement of john g whittier the editorial conduct of that paper in course of time his functions were enlarged and under the title of corresponding secretary he performed the part of a factotum and general manager with a share in all the anti-slavery work local and national after the consolidation of the freeman with the standard in eighteen fifty four he became the official correspondent of the latter paper his letters serving to some extent as a substitute for the discontinued freeman the operations of the underground railroad came under his review and partial control as has already appeared in these pages and the slave cases which came before the courts claimed a large share of his attention after the passage of the fugitive slave law in eighteen fifty one his duties in this respect were arduous and various as may be inferred from one of his private letters to an english friend which found its way into print abroad, and which will be found in another place. During the John Brown excitement, Mr. McKim had the privilege of accompanying Mrs. Brown in her melancholy errand to Harper's Ferry to take her last leave of her husband before his execution, and to bring away the body. His companions on that painful but memorable journey were his wife and Hector Tyndale, Esquire, afterwards honorably distinguished in the war as general tyndale returning with the body of the hero and martyr still in company with mrs brown mr mckim proceeded to north elba 
where he and wendell phillips who had joined him in new york with a few other friends gathered from the neighborhood assisted in the final obsequies when war broke out mr mckim was one of the first to welcome it as the harbinger of the slave's deliverance and the country's redemption a righteous war he said is better than a corrupt peace when war can only be averted by consenting to crime then welcome war with all its calamities in the winter of eighteen sixty two after the capture of port royal he procured the calling of a public meeting of the citizens of philadelphia to consider and provide for the wants of the ten thousand slaves who had been suddenly liberated one of the results of this meeting was the organization of the philadelphia port royal relief committee by request he visited the sea islands accompanied by his daughter and on his return made a report which served his associates as a basis of operations and which was republished extensively in this country and abroad after the proclamation of emancipation he advocated an early dissolution of the anti-slavery organization and at the may meeting of the american anti-slavery society in eighteen sixty four introduced a proposition looking to that result it was favorably received by mr garrison and others but no action was taken upon it at that time when the question came up the following year the proposition to disband was earnestly supported by mr garrison mr quincy mr may mr johnson and others but was strongly opposed by wendell phillips and his friends among whom from philadelphia were mrs mott miss grew and robert purvis and was decided by a vote in the negative mr mckim was an early advocate of colored enlistments as a means of lifting up the blacks and putting down the rebellion in the spring of eighteen sixty three he urged upon the philadelphia union league of which he was a member the duty of recruiting colored soldiers as a result on the motion of thomas webster esq a movement was set on foot which led to the organization of the philadelphia supervisory committee and the subsequent establishment of camp william penn with the addition to the national army of eleven colored regiments when in november eighteen sixty three the port royal relief committee was enlarged into the pennsylvania freedman's relief association mr mckim was made its corresponding secretary he had previously resigned his place in the anti-slavery society believing that that organization was near the end of its usefulness in the freedmen's work he traveled extensively and worked hard establishing schools at the south and organizing public sentiment in the free states in the spring of eighteen sixty five he was made corresponding secretary of the american freedmen's commission which he had helped to establish and took up his residence in the city of new york this association was afterwards amplified in name and scope into the american freedmen's union commission and mr mckim continued with it as corresponding secretary laboring for reconstruction by means of freedmen's schools and impartial popular education on the first of july eighteen sixty nine the commission by unanimous vote on his motion disbanded and handed over the funds in its treasury to its constituent state associations 
Mr. McKim retired from his labors with impaired health, and has since taken no open part in public affairs. He is one of the proprietors of the New York Nation, in the establishment of which he took an effective interest. Mr. McKim's long and assiduous career in the anti-slavery cause has given evidence of a peculiar fitness in him for the functions he successively discharged. His influence upon men and the times has been less as a speaker than as a writer, and perhaps still less as a writer than as an organizer, a contriver of ways and means, fertile in invention, prepared to take the initiative, and bringing to the conversion of others an earnestness of purpose and a force of language that seldom failed of success. In an enterprise where theory and sentiment were fully represented, and business capacity and what is called practical sense were comparatively rare, his talents were most usefully employed, while in periods of excitement, and when were such wanting, his caution, sound judgment, and mental balance were qualities hardly less needed or less important. End of section 10